Hi, everybody. Most of us just want COVID to go away, to be over with. And many of us are starting to feel safer because we've gotten vaccines and we feel like we can move around and travel again and start living a little bit more normal life. But there are some things that can't be whitewashed and they're not going to go away and that we still have to look at because there are implications. And one of them is where this virus came from. Okay, this has been hotly debated. However, a new report that came out about a week or two ago from the WHO itself, denying where it came from, actually pointed to exactly the opposite. And Zeus is with me, and we're going to do our final COVID report. Really a look back, a wrap up where this came from, the implications for the future. Zeus, welcome. Thank you, Regina. Upstairs, downstairs again. Downstairs again. So I think for a lot of people, because everyone is just so fatigued and just feeling a little bit hopeful for those who've had vaccines, that life is going to feel safer now and they can move on. Right. Why does it matter at this point where this virus came from? Because a lot of people will say, who cares where it came from? I just want to get over it. Why does it still matter? Well, especially if it's an artificial virus, it matters because it has a lot to do with technolo how technology is used and how it's going to interface with us in the future and how we are be going to become aware of it and hold people accountable who misuse technology. Obviously, my view and my videos and what we've talked about in the past is that it did come from a lab. But even as it has, it's not about pointing fingers. It really is about understanding the implications of lab creations and how that interfaces with our own bodies and with nature itself. And that I think is the larger, more implicated picture here. I also think in our discussions on COVID, the really positive aspect of it wasn't to simply just the, the, the deep, you know, I guess you'd say, uh, inner workings of, of all the machinations and politics, but it really had to do with the call the great reveal, right? The way it's calling us to a new way of looking at ourselves, at nature and our relationships with our world. So the same can be said for this. By understanding where the virus came from, we're gonna to begin to look at our relationship with our world and with each other insofar as are we going to more emphasize natural and healthy and transparent ways of dealing with each other and going forward or are we gonna cede our sovereignty yet again to so-called experts who have proven time and time again that they are uh, maybe even unbeknownst to them don't have our best interests at, my, at heart. Indeed, and I think one of the issues here is this whole thing about the vaccine. The real story is, the people who have the vaccine are blaming the other people who haven't gotten the vaccine. You're, vaccine, you're going to hold us all up. We're not going to get uh, to that herd immunity place. But the story is, when your governments lie to you, and there are people who do enough research to know they've been lied to, of course they're not going to trust the government when it comes to issuing these dire warnings of what's going to happen to us if we don't get their vaccine, right? So exactly. this, becomes a, this is really a detective story, and you and I have right. talked about this, mm -hmm. and this detective story today starts with you actually doing the due diligence to read that 120-page and I mean with a, with a microscope, 125-page joint WHO and Chinese government report, which mm -hmm. turned out to basically be all, have all the smoking guns that you've been talking about all along, right? Yeah, 
What's interesting, and this is another purpose for this conversation we're having right now, is to give people an understanding of critical media literacy. I'm going to do a more in-depth video on this where I literally go into the language itself. We're going to do a much more of a 50,000-foot view on this. But the fact is, what's being interesting now, especially, we were just talking about this uh, this morning, Regina, that technology, especially cell phone technology and the internet, have allowed for a huge way to surround these problems that have been typically segmented or behind closed doors. So now people kind of shifted their strategy. This WHO report, the World Health Organization report done with an international team teaming up with a Chinese team, actually gives a big data tells and, 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 and linguistic tells about what they do, leave in and leave out. And sometimes they even give you straight up data that disproves what they're concluding in the paper. So yes. it's, there, there are more sophisticated methods being used now from a critical media literacy standpoint and from a scientific standpoint to try to kind of admit something without admitting it or admit something to let it slide past and let no one be held accountable for it. And this is definitely one of those instances. So we're looking at, this was supposed to be kind of the definitive report, this comprehensive report they put together in under a month. And you call it basically a slapdash report. Oh, absolutely. Comprehensive. There was nothing that was clear about this report, but it was clear enough in what it was trying to obscure to only validate the things that you and I have both been saying all along. And this isn't just to validate that, this is to really get to know the players, what they contributed to this, because there's a really interesting cast of characters here. Mm -hmm. Peter Daszak, do you call it Daszak or Daszak? Peter Daszak, Ralph Barrick. Bar Barrick. Yeah. And then Shi Zheng Li, who is the famous Batwoman. Okay, right. so why don't you just launch in, tell us who these players were, where they met, where they started contributing to what happened, and where it ended up jumping from the U.S. to China. Just launch into that as, as kind of succinctly as you can. Yeah, well, we'll back it up a little bit. Right around 2014, something called gain-of-function research was banned. Not yes. only was it banned, but uh, Richard Ebright and, and many other scientists, and there was an entire symposium on biosecurity in that same year, the 2014, 2015, right around when it was banned, that said, this is dangerous for two reasons. One, it can be used as a bioweapon, and two, it, can, it could get out of the lab or be stolen from a lab and create a pandemic. Right. And frankly, the latest... Uh, from even the government sources, we're talking the Biden administration five days before the Biden administration came from, their State Department slash Defense Department said that they knew that they're working on these dangerous gain-of-function research in these Chinese labs since 2017, and they have not discounted, and it has not been retracted, that this could have been a lab-created virus. So this is in the mainstream of the mainstream. Well, and in the Washington Post, and they still admit that this is not only very much possible, but I will say it's almost definite. Okay, and in there, in fact, if you want to read that quote that came five days into the Biden administration, read the, do you have that in front of you? Yeah, I do. Let me see here. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm really, I thought, you're kidding. <laughs> Where did no, you is, find this? This is it. 
This is from the Washington Post. It's a March 30th, 2021 article, national security article in the Washington Post. It's only a week and a half, two weeks old, okay? So here is the quote in the article. Officially, the Biden administration is open to the possibility of a lab leak, a State Department document published five days before Trump left office and which has not been retracted, alleged that, quote, several researchers at the lab became sick in the fall of 2019 with COVID-like symptoms before the first identified case of the disease and claimed that the lab, quote, has engaged in classified research, including laboratory animal experiences, experiments on behalf of the Chinese military since at least 2017. There you have it. Hey, I mean, here we go. So we've got that. Anybody who wants to listen to that again, go ahead and roll back and listen to that again. Yeah. That is from governmental sources who, of course, deny publicly what right. has happened here because of a thousand reasons, liability being one of them. The implications of what this actually is are going to remain with us, I think, for a long time into the future. So let's go back to those key players, Zeus. We I will, and, and I will also note that the report says that no one was, quote, reported or diagnosed sick, that WHO report. But if you look but close at the they language, did. they could have easily fired those original workers or silenced them or decommissioned them, and now they're no longer workers. Yes. <laughs> so now let's move that story forward. Let's look at the cast of three players. Okay, we will. We'll start with it. There really are only three then names. Then the site itself and what happened, because this is the real key. Well, in that 2014-2015 period, um, under the Obama administration and with growing scientific consensus, gain-of-function research was banned. Gain-of-function research's sole purpose is to create more highly transmissible, more highly damaging viruses that reproduce within the human body much more. And it is built to infect humans purposely. Now, this research is, gathers things from animals and literally can splice them together into the same sort of super virus, and it is meant to make a super virus so that it can infect humans. Ostensibly, it is so that they can study them. But these scientists said it, it also, all- the, It also has bioweaponry potentials, and we'll find out in a little bit that this was backed by the military in China right. as well. Right, so yes, obviously, if you could have a bioweapon or some kind of virus like this and the antidote or a certain kind of vaccine, then you could infect another population and supposedly keep your own safer. Safe. Now, You're vaccines right. have their own issues and we, we've talked about that. So just like nuclear war, bioweaponry can have problems across the board. But the scientific arrogance and the, the overweening notion of technology as something to control, control a disease, control a populace, engineer a future this kind of weird you know brave new world 1984 type of mentality creates a, a hubris an ambition and an arrogance going forward and these three people each had that arrogance the first one is peter daszak peter daszak's a british zoologist who is the president of equal health alliance and he was the channel he was the bag man he was the channel from the National Institutes of Health. There was more than 7 million total grants that went into this gain-of-function research in two batches, okay? Now, this, this was directed towards Xi Li, which was the bat woman. She was the Chinese researcher that was experimenting with bat coronaviruses, one of which is the closest by far 
to the COVID-19 virus, the SARS-CoV-2 virus, 96.2%. And that was the bat coronavirus. It's called RATG13 or something like that. Okay. Now, there was a third guy, Ralph Barrick, who is a world-renowned several decades. No, I'd say world-renowned, maybe infamous would be a better word. Um, gain-of-function researcher had been doing all kinds of experiments over a long period of time with Xi Zhengli in the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. They did such things as putting, splicing things into an inactivated HIV virus, and they were successfully uh, developing uh, viruses and have been for quite a, some time that were more infective to human beings. So, so with these three people, you had the bag man channeling the money from the U.S. You had the tech guy, Ralph Barrick, who was teaming up with Xi Jinping and with the money. And then it was being done in a lab in China. The Wuhan Institute of Technology, and there was also the Wuhan Center for Disease, it's, it's basically the Wuhan CDC, Center for Disease and Prevention or Illness and Disease Prevention, something like that. And what's interesting about it is the first really big identified outbreak in Wuhan was literally across the street from where they were experimenting with this. Literally across the street. And if you go on Google Maps now, that building is silent. It's not labeled. <laughs> I was able to dig up the old maps. You know, it's been whitewashed. And the, the third thing was uh, that, that we uh, found out is that the lab was moved right around the time, December 2nd, right around the time of the outbreak of that thing. So this part's really critical because as you said, you were able to pull up the old maps before they unlabeled those uh, buildings in question. Mm -hmm. You were able to look at the, the, the neighborhood, so to speak, right. of the proximity of the old lab to the new lab to the famous quote meat market. Right. And then to, this is another area that people have forgotten about, although it came up in the very beginning, which was an, um, there was some Olympic games going on. Mm -hmm. Military games. World military, military games. games. World military games in the same neighborhood. Those are the first, that's the first group of people, of Westerners that we know who became ill. So let's talk about this, the mm -hmm. proximity, the fact that these three players had already created, this was already created. They had done the R&D on it in the US. They exported it to China for manufacture to a mm -hmm. lab who already, tell us about that lab's history because they already had security issues at that lab before the move. Well, there were two things to note. One, a Beijing lab, not mm -hmm. this same one, one in Beijing, a different city, had already literally had caused too many epidemics of SARS. Both walked right out with graduate students. Now, SARS wasn't engineered by gain of function to be as infectious. Right. <laughs> it ended up only affecting a handful of people, but I think the amount of people infected with this SARS was around 10 or 20, certainly more than just one other person or two other person once these, and two separate incidents yes. got outside of this lab. And, um, the U.S. Defense Department, State Department, had been complaining on how lax and undertrained these uh, technicians were. Now, in 2018, the same thing happened. There was a, the U.S. Embassy of Beijing went to the lab in Wuhan, the Wuhan Institute of Virology, and sent a cable, a memo, explicitly stating that this is a biosecurity three or four lab, and it was, and it had 
the training and the safeguards of something that was like a bio one lab. It was horrible. It was identified as horrible, undertrained workers, lack security. And this is not just China, by the way. UNC Chapel Hill, where Ralph Barrick was doing his work, got busted too. And Fort so did Fort Detrick. Yes, we did it, it too. It, it, it is, the problem is there's no accountability. Once people get busted in, in Fort Detrick, they just left the door open for ventilation. They just stick a brick in there. Literally, anyone could come into the lab, swipe whatever they wanted, and, and a high so-called security bioweapons. It just becomes insane. But what we know for sure is that in the report it said, we're safe, we're well-managed, and there was an explicit record that they were not safe and not well-managed. And not only that, in that report, going back to the thing about the Wuhan market, the wet market, the Huanan market, right next to where this research is happening, they didn't find a single sample within the meat itself. Now with unsurfaces and so forth, yes, of this. Two, they did, they did 80,000 tests over 31 provinces and didn't find SARS-CoV-2, COVID-19 virus in a single animal, even though they're saying that it went from an animal <laughs> to a human. And here's even the kicker. The CDC just put out I think it's also March 30th. Within the next couple of weeks, I'm going to go ahead and put this in a paper that I'm publishing on my site, that there is not a single documented case of animal-to-human transmission of the SARS-CoV-2 virus, the one that causes COVID-19. But here's the ironic thing. There are some cases in which humans have transmitted to animals, including minks and so forth. So they put some caution onto it. But the fact is, this was a virus tailored toward human infectivity, human incubation, human transmissibility, human infectivity. It was deliberately geared toward that. All their number one hypothesis was that this was started from an animal, went to another animal, incubated, that's called a reservoir. It's called zoonotic spillover. It just means going from species to species and then infected a human. But literally, they haven't found a single case of that. And yet, right in our face, which they call extremely unlikely, is the lab incident, what they call the lab incident. They don't provide any evidence for it. They give us a bunch of false information that these labs were well-managed, that they were secure, that everyone's trained. We know that's not the case, okay? And we also know that the data they provided us themselves turns out to affirm that that is the most likely rather than being extremely unlikely. That even just in the report itself, the fact that it was moved on December 2nd, the fact that it was right next door to the, the first identified outbreak, I mean, these things cannot just happen. And the fact is you and I looked up and even with a low level lab, it takes months to move that. All kinds of numbers that you have to dial, all kinds of ways you have to segment it and create security. If any one of those vials or those infected animals in this move, very delicate, long process, got out, got destroyed, got disposed of incorrectly, bam, you have a pandemic. And uh, because these things have been so geared toward infection and transmission.
I hope you're enjoying this video because if you are, there are dozens more like it on my site, all supported by people like you. So if you'd like to keep this work rolling in and join our community, just click on the Patreon button at reginameredith.com. That also gives you access to insider commentary, my live book club, and other live events with special guests. So join in. Thanks. Obviously, from their own paper, uh, their own reporting, the research they did, this was not transmitted from any kind of animal or bat to humans. That, that's not it. So we know that's not it. Now, again, the military games that were happening nearby, because I was intrigued with that way back when, when I heard mm -hmm. about it. And that disappeared from the story altogether. Tell us where they were. And, and also the date of the lab move is really important because in the report, they buried it on page 119 out of 120. Is that correct? Yeah, that is correct. So that's where they yeah, said they moved that was the official move date, December, December 2nd. 2nd. But in order to move, especially high security labs, you can back that date up at least two months to three months. Mm -hmm. The military games, I believe, started in October. I think it was October and November, early November, late October were when the military games were. So, um, so if you back that lab date at December 2nd up, it easily covers that. And here's what happened. First of all, where the gymnastics and the indoor games were was literally blocks away. Between the Wuhan Institute of Virology, you go a few blocks, bam, you hit that, okay? And then if you go to the CDC and the Wuhan market, it's only a couple more kilometers away, okay? So they were ground zero for all and this. If there was a move happening between these, okay, yes. between the Wuhan Institute of Raleigh up, up to the Wuhan CDC next to the Hunan market, they literally were right on the same track. And if what you said earlier is accurate from that Biden report, um, there were employees that were ill at that lab at that time. Now they would have been out shopping and living and doing their thing and spreading right. around as well. So right. this is not a far stretch whatsoever from all the evidence that's been found. And, and it's the testing. Many of these athletes came down with COVID like symptoms, either at the very tail end of their stay in there mm -hmm. or when they got back, one of them was an Italian athlete whose family got sick with COVID like symptoms. And now if you start losing your sense of smell in particular, that is very definitive of a COVID, okay? That's not a normal thing. So we're, we're talking, and, and the tests aren't really that accurate, especially toward the beginning of this, because we barely even knew what it was. So even if they tested negative, it's very likely that very, it, it's very probable or at least possible that that, COVID had started right around that time on October, late October, early November. Um, and, and that um, these people were getting sick. And remember, it takes about three weeks. Right. A lot of these athletes didn't experience till, till they had come home from those games. Right. And remember, at the same time, in December and January, before um, COVID was even a word or a thing, um, mm -hmm. people in California were quite sick that year. They said it was the worst flu they'd ever had. And I was talking to my sister about it. She's in the medical industry, mm -hmm. and she really did not want to look at this fact that, you know, uh, A, that it could be uh, a lab-derived, number one, mm -hmm. but also... Uh, starting to look at what actually happened to her as just one of many people. She had the worst uh, cold she'd ever had. She lost all sense 
of smell and taste. Mm -hmm. And we know the people around us said it was taking a month to two months to get over the worst flu, the worst chest cold they'd ever had. Now, this right. is this is before COVID, before right. we labeled it as COVID. Well, Official COVID. Officially COVID. Well, <laughs> right. that has a that has a silver lining in it, just that, because they all got through it. Um, right. But we have to remember that from China into California, uh, there, there at that time were 8,000 Chinese a day coming in from China's major cities into San Francisco and LA alone through those right. two airports. So they were bringing this with them at that time. That big right. ship came in from China, which was one of the very first cases that we heard of publicly and started, um, started relating it to COVID was that cruise ship. Remember that princess line that right. came in? So yeah. take it from there. And I, and I know also a person who worked on a film set in Hollywood who got tested and got tested positive. And this was very, very early on. Yes. It got slipped under the mark. And they ended yeah. up even going over to uh, Spain and back. I don't believe they got it in Spain. I believe they got it here. They might've brought it over to Spain, honestly. But they were tested positive. Um, we, had, we had a friend who, who literally felt he was afraid to go to sleep because he felt like he would die. He was also heavier so that's a, a risk factor for covid but i think that may also explain why present rates in california are among the lowest in the nature nation i think that there was a form of this at least an earlier form because there are a lot of mutants that happened and variations of this virus that have happened since then that wasn't as bad in fact they found out that was the case the stuff on the east coast came from italy and europe and that was a lot nastier than the stuff on the west coast that came more from the Orient and from the uh, Asian countries. So, so they've already, they mu the variants must have already been created by them to have such different- so They were saying like once or twice a month, these things were going to mutate, which is actually slow, believe it or not. <laughs> and because okay. if it's an artificially created virus, I don't think it mutates as well in the wild. But, um, you know, it needs human beings kind of to do it, especially unhealthy human beings. But I think it is quite possible that it started earlier. But what is, I think, highly possible and by far the most likely, given all these vectors, given all these points of coincidence and coinciding, is that this almost definitely had to be made in a lab. It had to be made in a lab. It was a lax lab. All these laboratory accidents, there was no real recrimination or accountability that just kept happening. So, you know, if it infects a graduate student and a couple of people like it did in the Beijing lab, they're like, eh, all right, it's a few people that got sick. They should have seen the warning in that, especially as this technology is developing. We can talk about exactly what this bug was composed of. We might want to do that next. Well, let's just let's just do that. We'll kind of get to that briefly, and then yeah. kind of wrap where where we are with it now, and right. how we need to handle it from this point forward in our bodies. Because right. I found when we started talking, I couldn't believe my own ignorance. Mm -hmm. You had been talking, and others had been talking about the bat uh, backbone bat virus and the pangolin. Mm -hmm. And I had a misunderstanding what pangolin was. Let's talk about what this is made out of because it's truly fascinating. Right. And to finish up that other point as we jump into this, as a technology develops to create 
easier and easier. Now it takes less than a month for Swiss scientists to synthesize, completely synthesize, a uh, basically an artificial uh, SARS-CoV-2 virus. The technology, the computer, it's almost like a 3D printer, except on the microscopic level. These guys can custom design almost any genome at this point. And if you, you combine that kind of increase in technology with the increase in, in, in vir virulence and deadliness, you are going to get something with no safeguards and no accountability that will get out eventually and cause a pandemic. All of this research around the world should be shut down and banned forever. I mean, this is the real warning in all of this. There is no good that comes from this kind of research whatsoever. Now there let's No. There's a new non-natural risk, and here's what they did. And, and again, first of all, let me tell your audience that and this is what Yuri Dagan said. He's, he's got a great article on Medium. Um, D-E-I-G-I-N. Uh, -E um, it's a long read. <laughs> I'll break it down for you in my, in my thing. But basically, here's how they designed this virus. And they can design it without leaving a trace. Okay? And one of the big arguments made was 96.2% sounds like it's a lot similar, but it would take decades for the mutations to happen to get that would take decades in the wild. But guess what? In a lab, they can change 2.1%. That's, that's more than half of the difference of this bat virus between this and the COVID. They can do that in something like 22 passages out of 600. Now, passages are these things that they call serial passages is when they literally create uh, a, a, an accelerated aging and, trend, and, 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 and development into the next uh, bacteria or virus, whatever it happens to be. They can do it by passing through membranes. They, there are all kinds of ways to speed it up in the lab. So what are you talking about? Sped up, what kind of time are we looking at? Well, I mean, like I said, they can synthesize the entire virus within <laughs> less than a month, but yeah. as little as 600 passages can change, could probably account for that. 600, 1200 passages, and that wouldn't take very long. Months, maybe months. Okay, okay. certainly not, not years. Yeah, certainly not, not years, years and certainly not decades. And certainly not decades. It would in the wild because it's not the intention nor the technology in the wild. And what they did here was very simple. They were doing, Xi Jinping was doing work on exotic bat coronaviruses. SARS, bat coronaviruses. They were doing anal swabs and stuff, it's kind of disgusting. But anyway, they were collecting these samples and they had them in that lab and it has been verified that that they worked with in those labs, okay? What they did was they used this as a backbone. So that 96.2% was the backbone or the vast majority of that virus, but it had a problem. It didn't attach to humans as much as they wanted it to. Okay. Oh, but what a big surprise. They busted some black marketed pangolin dealers, Let's right? Talk, we got to talk about pangolins. Pangolin is this weird prehistoric looking creature. It's P-A-N-G-O-L-I-N that has these keratin like, like fingernail like scales. It makes it look like a dinosaur. It looks like, it's like an anteater covered in fingernails. Yes. <laughs> Oh, gross. <laughs> anyway, it, this thing is built for survival. So it is not a surprise at all 
that this thing can handle about just about anything. And 80 million years it's been around. It can live in the water, underground, right. above ground, right. in trees. It can live anywhere. Yes. And what they found in these infected black market pangolins was another virus, precisely something called a receptor binding motif, a section of the virus that could attach to human, what's called ACE2 receptors. These receptors within the lungs, epithelial lining and a few other areas, but most notably in the lungs. So they were like, aha, we have this highly infectious, transmissible bat backbone, and then we can insert in that this pangolin receptor binding motif, which was 99% identical with the same area in the SARS-CoV-2 virus, 99%. And in fact, if you looked at the bat virus, it was not at all identical. In that little area, it didn't attach very well. It, it, there's a big V, you know, this is the SARS virus, here's the bat virus, and that little area V down, so it was not at all like it. But what happened is they took that pangolin section and they put it in there, and guess what? That was 99% identical. So now you have a virus, a artificially created virus, that is almost exactly identical to the SARS-CoV-2 virus. They have a record of it, and here's the extra. Here's the coup de gras, the cherry on the top. This is where Barrick's work comes in now, right? This is where Barrick's work comes in. Remember, he worked with inactivated HIV viruses in order to create hypertransmissible diseases. This, I think it's only four amino acid sequence, right? Was inserted and or mutated, because you can't tell. They can do this without leaving a trace. And here's what it did it increased the attachment of that pangolin section up to a thousand times, according to that South China Post article. And it also allowed for furin cleavage, which means it allowed for easier slicing through the membrane of the cell, getting in the cell, and then reproducing. Replicating. So we literally had a Frankenstein virus deliberately tailed, tailored to use the bad coronavirus backbone for hypertransmissibility, to use the pangolin insertion, right? They took out the bat part that wasn't working. They put in the pangolin one that allowed it to attach much more to human cells. And then within that, they put in another sequence that would allow it to attach up to a thousand times as easily and then slice into cells much, with much greater efficacy. And that was an HIV-like mutation or insertion. So there is no credible way that any credible science would say that these things came together just randomly or through evolution by the WHO's own report. They themselves said it would have taken decades of evolution in the wild for this to happen. And I said, of course, you are absolutely right. That points exactly to a lab origin. Because in lab, it doesn't take decades. It literally could take months to make and those things. The evolutionary biologist, Brett Weinstein, I believe? Yep. Mm -hmm. Yes. Tell us what he had to say about it. So we can just kind of, we've come to an understanding on this, the best of, uh, that all the research can produce is exactly what you're saying. So we're gonna kind of put this behind us and to rest and just look at what this means into the future. So what did Weinstein say? Weinstein said he was 90 plus percent sure that this is a laboratory originated virus. He's a mainstream evolutionary biologist and his argument, and what I'm following up on, is that the way it acts is not like a natural virus. 
So we're talking in the WHO report about the pre, all the evidence pre-coronavirus that points directly to lab origination. He, in a post-environment, in terms of how the virus acts in the world evolutionarily, I'm sure he has a lot to say about the speed in which this thing mutated also, but he looked at that and said, listen, it doesn't act like a natural virus. Here's the most important thing I saw in that Yuri Dagan report. He says, one of the tells of a manufactured virus, an artificial virus, is that it's temperature sensitive. Guess what? The SARS-CoV-2 virus is temperature sensitive. The reason why natural viruses aren't as temperature sensitive because they've had to as part of their evolution, that's why it takes longer, develop greater tolerances and greater time it takes greater tolerances of temperatures. What happens when you're in a lab, you're in these ideal situations, your manufactured bug is kind of adapted to that. It's adapted to dry, it's adapted to room temperature, it's adapted to unhealthy sedentary animals, <laughs> growing in unhealthy sedentary animals, it's adapted to indoor ventilation and indoor air. And the list goes on and on. You look at the unhealthy, non-exercising animals that they have, and what happens, and I've done research on this on Citizen Zoo, so you guys can look this up. There's a comprehensive one called Finally Comprehensive Look at This. Every single thing that destroys this virus, sunlight, fresh air, right? Heat, humidity, exercise, Certain vitamins like vitamin D, vitamin B, yeah, melatonin, and so forth, all go exactly the opposite of how these things were created in a lab. Okay? Yeah. They had these sedentary animals that yeah. are fat and unhealthy, and it goes on and on and on in these dry climates with indoor ventilation. So he was making the point that the way that the virus acts, not like a natural virus, indicates that it's an, that's an artificial virus. And you look at the laboratory preparations and what that lab, uh, that virus, the SARS-CoV-2 would have, would have been adapted to, and you begin to say, there's more proof post, right? There's all the proof from the HO, WHO report and all these lab accidents in the pre, then the way that it was constructed and it could not have happened in the wild in that quick of a time, and then post how it actually operates in the wild. All of those, every single one of those points to a laboratory incident, every single one. So here we are, a good part of certainly the United States and some other countries um, have gone through the vaccination process. That's a whole other story and people are going to have to study. Um, you have a fair amount of information on it yourself in terms of the best way for a body to contend with it. You and I have chosen to contend with it by continuing to take the nutrients that are not friendly to it. Go right. ahead and share your point of view. Yeah, I mean, if you look at this, is why this is so important. This is how the lab origin links up. So if the lab origin is there and we begin to know both pre to get accountability <laughs> and to change dangerous gain of function research, right? And then post recognizing that if there is a lab created or artificial virus, there are natural ways and natural antagonists to that happening in our body, right? Then we, we, we're, we're covered on both ends, okay? We're, what we're learning 
is how to effectively combat an artificially created virus. And what we're learning kind of as a result of that is how we can lead better health in general in ways that actually help with natural viruses. Right. in ways that help us tailor our lifestyles to ways that actually recognize our body instead of covering up symptoms and covering up imbalances. So all of the things that we talked about early on in the, the COVID reporting that we've done, all of the nutrients we've talked about, a few of which you've mentioned, you have them on your site, other people have them on theirs. If we, as a matter of practice, continue mm -hmm. keeping our body strengthened with nutrients and sunlight and exercise, um, and just kind of the standard stuff for good health, we should, unless there's a genetic issue with us of some kind, fare mm -hmm. fairly well, whether it's COVID, whether it is some variation of COVID, a variant down the road, or natural mm -hmm. viruses coming along. And, mm -hmm. and that's, that's really where we've chosen to go with it. But for those who have chosen to do the vaccines, right. any final thoughts on that before we wrap it up? Well, again, what we do know is this. This virus is also teaching us the importance of innate immunity and how it has a conversation with acquired immunity. Here's what normally happens. Children, that's why they're not affected by this virus basically at all, almost at all. They're literally fewer than, basically, and so it's, 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 it's one hundredth of one percent. It's, it's just, and, they're, and, and the exact opposite with elderly people. Almost 40 percent of the deaths were in long care term home with people that were basically 80 and above. Innate immunity is the thing that allows our body to be educated on a general level, to feel viruses, usually natural viruses, but also artificial viruses like this one. And that thing needs to be developed. That's why we no longer suggest antibacterial soap. Those kids need to be exposed to soil. They need to be exposed to their biome. They need to have a good gut biome with good probiotics. And they need to be able to actually work through non-deadly diseases and have fitness in interaction with them. This is not deadly to young people. In fact, Seth Letterman, a mainstream virologist slash you know, uh, molecular biologist said, in the future, we're gonna actually have an attenuated means weakened or live form of this COVID-19 virus to give to kids. Because that form of exposure allows them to have longer lasting immunity and not to transmit it. The problem with vaccines is there has been no study yet to affirm, and the CDC admits that, that these things prevent transmission. In fact, right. that Letterman and, and that, that Dutch scientist, I can't remember, is the vendor, vendor, or something like that, um, says that what happens when you have acquired immunity, which is what these vaccines provide you. Now, think about this. If you're a kid, you're not a big threat. Let's say, and, and your, your, your innate immunity tends to go down, and you're more specialist, which is general, generalist, and your acquired immunity tends to go up. So if you are in poor health and you're very old, you may actually want to take these vaccines simply because it gives you a little bit of a hedge in that specialist department, okay? And you don't have much innate immunity to lose. It's already down. The problem is if you start introducing this with kids, especially since they're already handling it, that specialist acquired immunity with too many vaccines can begin to interrupt, confuse, 
and discoordinate that innate, innate immune response and to, and to disrupt its development, its full flourishing and development. I would highly caution anyone around vaccines for kids, especially for this COVID-19. At the same time, or especially if someone who have autoimmune diseases, allergy issues, and blood clotting issues, okay? <laughs> Those people have already flagged, right? Okay, so, and, the, and on, the, on the same on the other area, when, when it comes to, if you don't have a lot of these responses and you are older and you don't have a lot of innate, it does make more and more sense to use those vaccines to help with any particular special disease. So yeah. we're not, I've always called myself a middle vaxxer. We don't have an extreme view on this. I think both of us believe it's preferable to have as few vaccines as possible in order not to confuse that vaccine, but that especially if you're traveling to, as you did when you were a, a flight attendant, to an exotic environment that your body's not prepared, your natural biome doesn't prepare you for, right? These typhoids and hepatitis and so forth. And we did that with my son when he was going to the Philippines. We found a way to create a middle path. Dr. Sears' alternative and selective schedule, don't give him everything. If it's not deadly, let the body to work through it. Find the ones that have the bad, at, at, you know, the mercuries and other things, and, and find the ones that don't have them and use those. So there are ways to intelligently address these things. But as a general thing, we need to increase our immune fitness and our connection with the world and with uh, knowing what uh, vitamins and natural things that modern life has made a deficient in us. And if we do those things, exercise is big, sleep is big, hydration is big, vitamin D is big. Um, and if we begin to do those, these things won't affect us nearly as much and those viruses won't escape. That's what vaccines unfortunately do because they're acquired. They don't eat the whole cell. It's easier for that virus to mutate. It's easier for that virus to escape from that secondary acquired immune response versus the primary innate immune response. We prefer that innate immune response. It is better for transmissibility. It lowers transmissibility better. It's better because it, it educates your body in a much better way. Um, but the other one is a backup. The other one can be a backup, especially if you are way you know, much older and if you are, don't have that great of an immune, an innate immune system. Zeus, thank you so much for explaining that as our kind of final wrap on this, the final thoughts. I mean, the good thing is, is that COVID had a lot of effects on humanity, uh, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And one thing we've seen in California, for example, you can't buy certain kinds of bicycles at all anymore. They are not to be had everywhere. You can't get a camping spot. You can't even reserve. I've tried. There's nothing. It's April. At any of the decent campgrounds, you can't even um, reserve a space until next winter. So people did start finding alternatives to the other ways they were using their time. And a huge percentage of it, at least in California, was driving people to the outdoors. So this, this is a silver lining.
And everything you said about taking care of the immune system and all the suggestions you've made in the past, and I highly recommend anybody that wants to kind of go through that again, just get a final grasp on what you can do to keep your own being strong. Go to Zeus's um, material on citizenzeus.com because he's done a tremendous amount of research. And we've, we kind of put our money where our mouth was and started living by the information that we dug up. So I really wanted to just have this final wrap to say it's a wrap. <laughs> we know where it came from now. We're pretty sure we know where it came from now. We can't make anything with absolute, uh, an absolute declarative statement. And uh, we're going to go ahead and start, let it go and focus on other subjects after this one, Zeus. Any final comment before we sign off here? Well, yeah, I, again, I, I, I encourage people not to look at this with fear or even necessarily disgust. I mean, there is a use of technology that is dangerous and that it is wrong and that we need to stand up to. But there is also use of technology and most importantly, our own sovereignty, our own choice and our own nonviolent civil disobedience to those mandates. We can unplug from them and we can use these other tactics going forward. We can avoid this notion of being a stereotyped or extreme and fear driven on one hand or ignorance driven on the other. Let's be fully transparent, let's be fully knowledgeable, and let's use any kind of opportunity, including the challenge that SARS-CoV-2 has presented to us as a way to heighten our awareness and heighten our health and our responsibility to each other, rather than to create this kind of war of all against all. That's the opportunity here. Um, we don't have to have some mushy middle. What you and I are offering is not a mushy middle, right? Being a middle vaxxer doesn't need some weird compromise from two like completely ridiculous extremes. It means being intelligent, it means being inqui inquiring, it's understanding what's happening underneath things, it's being able to see the tells within texts. And we will continue to do these kinds of videos, you and I, to help people negotiate and navigate the, the world as it's emerging, because there will be a lot of noise. And um, there are sane ways to do it that don't have you falling into the establishment or conventional thinking and don't have you falling to a purely reactionary one either. A more creative, proactive, collaborative way going forward is what both you and I are dedicated to. And I most certainly hope that these videos can help that happen. Well, I hope they have too. I think they have by looking at the comments and, and uh, people reaching out to us. And um, Zeus, uh, citizenzeus.com, that's where everybody can find your material. And I want to thank you again uh, for just taking tremendous amounts of time, months of time to research this and other topics. And I'm trying to encourage you to go full on into it as an investigative reporter because you're up there with the best of them. So anyway, thank you so much for taking the time to do this again today. Thank you, Regina. Everybody, again, like I just said, please go to citizenzeus.com to check into all of the various um, investigative reporting he's done on COVID and also on other subjects and many more in the future. Until next time, thank you for joining us here on reginameredith.com. <laughs>